0: Understand music? Little leprechaun coming across? Did you hear it? (music) i i <music> here to worship and fellowship with you this morning, God, Lord, we lift up our songs as praise and offering to you, and Lord, I just thank you for the reminder that, God, the cross was, a, was an instrument of agony, God, agony that had to be paid for my sin and for my mistakes and for my corruption, God, but it's a, it's a gift you, um, you gladly gave us, and it's a gift you paid for us um, on that cross, God, because you were so great. And your love mends every circumstance, and your love heals every broken heart, God. So, Lord, we just turn this service over to you, and I pray that you um, open our minds and hearts to receive your word in this time of study, Lord. Speak through Pastor Neil this morning. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Hey, Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 12. And children may leave now for children's ministry. As they leave, we are grateful for those who serve every week in that ministry, discipling our children. Second Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, we are reaching the pinnacle of the book. Many of you will be familiar with some of the verses I will read today. As we worship, as we meet. Let's not forget we have a team freezing right now at Woody Gap in North Georgia. Uh, Yesterday morning, I was part of the team. We were well fed by a group of men at Zion Baptist Church in downtown Suchis. If you know where Suchis, Georgia is, you know that there is no downtown. But still, that's where we were. We drove up to the Gap and reached Woody Gap at about, I don't know, 845. When we got there, there was already a team of hikers who had traveled four or five miles on the Appalachian Trail yesterday morning. It's 29 degrees. The wind is coming straight off the polar ice cap. (laughs) Nothing between Woody Gap and the North Pole but a barbed wire fence. (laughs) And it only had two strands. I mean, we were freezing and putting those tarps up and those tents up and those nine, ten hikers that were already there immediately stuffed down a couple of hot dogs themselves for breakfast. So uh, my thinking is that there was someone in the group had already, you know, they they know that we're there. They know that we do this type of ministry. So I want to thank those who've been a part of this annually for several years now because that group of hikers showed up yesterday morning hungry for hot dogs for breakfast. So What a tremendous ministry, and I only mention that to let's let's pray today uh, for our team that's still there. There's probably 17 people there, and uh, 85 hikers were fed yesterday, which I felt like it was a tremendous number. Now, these are through hikers, which their goal is to begin at Springer Mountain and spend the next several months hiking all the way to Maine. So they are great. I don't know what you had for breakfast yesterday morning, but they are grateful for hot dogs on the trail. And then we gathered that group together. We prayed with them and for them and encouraged them along the way. So again, I'm grateful to 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 pastor a church where we have people who care to reach out and love others in, in such unique and interesting kinds of, of ways. So uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 12. Did I already tell you that? I did, didn't I? You're already there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. The sufficiency of God's grace. This is such a rich passage and such, a, such an applicable passage to To all the difficulties that we go through in life, and you are going to have many. If you do not handle difficulty and disappointment well, you're not going to handle life well. Because life is filled with challenges and hurts and pains and difficulties. So I'm going to introduce to you this, this morning this passage, hoping that you will personalize this, not only for what you're going through now, but you need this passage on a regular basis. You need this passage, in fact, every single day because life is fallen and life is difficult. Now, when I was a pastor in North Carolina, I I did not drink coffee until I turned maybe 24, 25. But there was a group of seniors in that church who every Tuesday they would make a pot of coffee at the church and they drank coffee. They introduced me to the concept and taste of coffee. And I will confess to you that since they introduced me to something so wonderful, I I never miss a morning. In fact, I don't know what I I would do (laughs) through the day if I didn't have my morning coffee. That's beside the point. But this passage to me is for the life of discipleship. It's like coffee for the Christian. This takes you need constantly. So let's, let's look at it, and let's introduce it. I'm going to make a few points, but I'm really just introducing it to you for your personal growth and discipleship, because you're going to need this. I'm going to have several analogies from the trail. You're going to need this the whole rest of the way as you journey toward the, the summit there at the end of your, your trail. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Paul is continuing something that we've been talking about weekly. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. They've been bragging and they've been boasting about how wonderful they are and how together they are and, you know, their credentials, their experiences, how eloquent they are, how intelligent they are. Paul says they're frauds. They're empty. They're very deceptive. Like Satan, they look great and wonderful, and they, they, they manifest themselves as angels of light. He says, don't fall for that. It's a hoax. It's not real. They were super apostles, so-called, who were really no apostles at all. And they were damaging the Corinthian church. So they like to boast, and they like to brag, and they like to present their credentials. So Paul did engage in some boasting, but he did it in an ironic way. In a bit of a sarcastic way, he boasted about his weaknesses. But now, look at what he does. He says, okay, if they want to talk about visions and revelations and how much they know and how wonderful they have been and all the things they've done, Paul says in verse 1, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul says, I know a man In Christ, who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven, paradise. He says, I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows. He was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. Which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of of such a man, will I boast? But on behalf, on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regards to my weaknesses. Now, if you don't know this already, in verses one through four, Paul is the man that he refers to. He's saying, "I know, I know somebody who went up into paradise." Paul, in a roundabout way, is talking about himself. But he says, look, I'm not going to boast in that. But in regards to me, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Then verse 6, for if I do wish to boast, I shall not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. In other words, I don't want people to make out of me more than I really am. I don't want them to make much of me. In spite of the fact that I've had these wonderful revelations from God, it's not about me. Don't make much of me. And we know what he would say is make much of of Christ, make much of God and His grace. So in verse 7 he explains, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, or some of your verses there have, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, For Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I have become strong. I'm going to add verse 11, and then I'm going to add chapter 13, 4 and 5 for context. Paul says, I've become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. Hey, I'm a nobody, but I'm not inferior to anyone. What a healthy self-awareness he has. Then in chapter 13, verse 4, here's the climax of the book. For indeed he, that is Jesus, was crucified because of weakness. Yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we shall live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ, Jesus Christ, is in you unless indeed you fail the test. Father, we are grateful for your words to us this morning. May they instruct us, may they correct us, may they convict us, may they encourage us. But more than anything, Father, may they teach us more about you, and more about our need of you, and may we each ex- honestly examine ourselves to see whether or not these, these things are true of us, that we, we accept our weaknesses, we accept our sinfulness and our frailness, we admit that, we own that, we confess that, so that, we may be be saved and strengthened by the wonderful grace that you've given to us and offered us in Christ. Our desire today is just to magnify you and to boast in you and the amazing grace you've shown to each one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Paul basically says, I've been higher than any of you. And then he also says, I've also been lower than any of you. He shares two things that are personal experiences that that lead him to grasp and love and cherish the grace of God more than anything in life that he will ever face or has faced. In verses 1 through 6, he gives us a vision of glory that was exhilarating. I mean, think about this. Paul went into the the, the third heaven. Paul got to glimpse, momentarily, paradise. What a gift of grace from God. Now, there is biblical history of these types of experiences. Isaiah had an experience like this. Ezekiel had an experience like this. The disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration had an experience like this, where for a brief moment in time, God pulls back the curtains and allows some of his servants to see a bit of the glory, a bit of the reality of the greatness and the brightness of the kingdom. Now, we don't need to press this into normalcy and think that everybody gets to see visions like this, but Paul was granted the grace to see what all of us are longing to see. And we get the joy and benefit of learning from his experience if we are wise and listening. We won't demand this type of vision from God. We will trust that God, through Paul, tells us what he wants us to know. So anyway, Paul's been holding on to this for 14 years. We don't know who he may have told, but he hasn't publicly written it out for other people to hear. So for 14 years, he's held this inexpressible, glorious experience that would top any story or any accomplishment or any glory. Hey, did I tell you what I have done? Man, I could scan my whole 48, 49 years or so, and I... I don't have any mountaintop experience, any earthly experience, that would come close to what Paul has introduced in chapter 12. And unless there's something about some of you I don't know, you haven't either. Paradise, glory, the third heaven. Something so wonderful he can't even talk about it. And he can't even talk about it in the first person. So he's got something to boast about that would that would transcend every super apostle and whatever they were boasting and bragging about. But Paul says, no, 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 I'm okay, I'm just going to mention that, that I know somebody that that happened to, and reading between the lines, we know it's Paul. But Paul says, enough of that. I'm also going to boast about my weaknesses, because that's what magnifies God and His grace. Let me tell you how much pain I have. Let me tell you how much disappointment I have. Let me tell you about something in my life that just will not and would not and is not going to go away. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And you're thinking, I've got a couple of those too. Let me tell you who they are. Not so fast, my friend, because... Thorn in the flesh, we are not sure what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And I think it's God's grace that we don't know what caused him so much continual torment and pain. It could have been someone else, but most likely, most likely, it was a personal, physical ailment. Some sort of physical deficiency. Do y'all remember when Paul said to the Corinthians, they're talking about how I don't look like much. I don't sound like much. Was it a mental weakness? Was it a psychological weakness? Was it a a physical malady or deformity? Was there something, because there's something that indicates somewhere that his eyesight may have been poor? Was it emotional? Was it something spiritual in his past that tormented him, that that he prayed would go away and God didn't? Here's the bottom line. I think God has withheld specifically what the thorn was so that every believer could identify in some way. Let's say that it was specifically mentioned. Then we would say, well, a thorn can only be eye difficulties. We're so narrow-focused in, in our application and thinking outside so, So I'm glad that we don't know specifically what this thorn was, but what we do know is that it tormented Paul. It was painful to Paul. It was something that apparently God allowed Satan to bring into Paul's life, because what does he say? A thorn was given to me, but it was a messenger of Satan. So Satan's on one side thinking, I will weaken Paul. And I'll discourage Paul. And I will limit his ministry. And I will limit his impact. God, will you give me permission to afflict him with this thorn? To to limit his effectiveness on earth? And apparently God said, yeah. Yeah, you you can afflict his life. And if you're looking for precedence on communication between God and Satan concerning people on earth, go to the book of Job. Very similar circumstances. Satan goes to God. No, God actually introduces this and says to Satan, Have you considered Job? I'm not going to preach Job to you. Jesus said to Peter one time, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Satan asking God for permission to afflict people with difficulty. It has biblical precedence. We see it again here in the life of the Apostle Paul. Satan wants to use things to weaken us and cripple us. God uses those same things to strengthen us and to glorify himself and his grace. Listen, God alone can take a disadvantage that may have even been allowed by by God for for Satan to you, God can take a disadvantage in your life and and reverse it to be a great advantage for him and you in the kingdom. Only God can do that. So this was an instrument of God to keep Paul humble. After all, Paul had something that transcended everybody else. (laughs) And he could have had his picture on the front page, right, every day with this story. He could have written a bestseller and made millions, right? He had something to post on Facebook that nobody else could post. God says, no, I'm going to give you something more valuable. I'm going to give you something that is going to stay with you, and it is going to keep you low and keep you humble. And and listen, I'm never going to take it away. Wow. Paul says, "I wake up every morning praying this, that this will go away, and it never it never goes away. And I woke up again and I'm praying and it never goes away. And I woke up again and I'm praying and it never goes away. So did God answer Paul's prayer? Absolutely. God answered Paul's prayer, and God said no. So I want to say a couple of things about it from the beginning. That makes it sound like I've got a whole lot more to say, doesn't it? God had given Paul this vision of glory that was exhilarating, but then he gave him this lesson on grace that was educating. And it educated Paul in the most important subject there is to know, and that is God and His grace. There is no education like theological education, because after all, that's why we're here. And we find ourselves at times trying to make it on our own and live life apart from God, live life apart from the church, live life apart from His Word, live life without praying. So Spurgeon says this, Anything is a blessing, ...that drives us to our knees. Can I repeat this? Anything is a blessing which drives us to our knees. So you know this already by experience. The most hurtful, most devastating things that have ever occurred to you in your life... ...as the hymn writer says, where could I go but to the Lord? I had no other means... My money wasn't going to help me. My education wasn't going to help me. My physical strength and my abilities and my giftedness, none of that was going to help with this. Where could I go but to the Lord? And that's what Paul did. He continued praying. I want to share something that I read from Timothy Keller many years ago, and it's about the wisdom and the providence and the goodness of God. After all, He is our kind Heavenly Father, and we are His dependent children. We don't always live that way. But here is evidence that when we pray and we pray and we pray, I love what Keller said. When we pray, God gives us what we would have asked for if we had all the information that He had. So Paul is weakened, and he's hurting, and it's relentless, and it's tormenting him. He's experienced these exhilarating highs. But now he's got this painful low, and it's brought him to his knees, and he's pleading with his heavenly Father, and he knows his Father to be good and trustworthy. But God has not taken this away. That could only mean that God in his providence and wisdom has something better for Paul than the removal of the thorn. That there's something greater that God wants to give Paul. If Paul knew everything that God knows, and if Paul had the wisdom and the knowledge and the impotent that God has, then God as our kind, gracious Heavenly Father will not answer some prayers In the way that we would want them to be answered. Paul knows what he wants. I want this thorn out of my life. God must have a greater reason for keeping it there. So some things God doesn't take away. And on the flip side, there are some things that God must not give. Because haven't you prayed for some things to be taken away? And they're not taken away. And haven't you prayed for things at times to be given? And they haven't been given? Absolutely. But here's the point. When we pray, we go to God, and our Heavenly Father gives us, because He loves us, exactly what we need, and only He knows exactly what we need. He has not promised to give me everything that I want, but everything that is good for Him. Well, who defines what's good for me? Well, you and I know from our past, we often don't know what's good for us. It's gotten you into some trouble. You thought you knew the way, but you did not know the way. And you didn't pray. You didn't seek His face. You didn't love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You weren't loving other people as you should. And so going your own way, well, we went astray. But this is the one who prays and seeks God's face. And and here's what we learn. This lesson on grace... Before we can learn the sufficiency of God's grace, we must learn the insufficiency of ourselves. Let me read this again. Before Neil Aubrey can learn how sufficient God is, he's also got to learn a tough lesson. And that's how insufficient he is. And I stand before you to confess that I am extremely insufficient left to myself. And the Bible says that you're right there with me, and we are hiking in the same group. One of the things I noticed about the hikers, and Miss Lois, you've been a part of this ministry, they begin the journey alone. They are well-stocked with their backpacks and their sleeping equipment and their food and all. Well, By the time they get to Woody Gap, just a few miles up the way, they've already banded together in teams. For many different reasons. But starting out self-sufficiently, I'm going to do this, but they're looking forward in fairness to meeting other people and conversing and not hiking alone, but hiking with a group. But they learn very quickly that I need other people. I'm not sufficient in and of myself. Or at least that's my opinion on what some of them are learning. So let me just share, I'm going, to, I'm going to preach a message now after the message I just preached. So what, what did Paul learn? All of these words are going to start with a P. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you advanced notice. And I'm not going to develop all these fully, I promise. If you want the full notes, I will email them to you because they have under them supporting text and statements and quotes. Some of you already get those every week. So, Paul, what did you learn from your thorn in the flesh? What was this education on grace? The first thing I notice is he has a new perspective. So he gets perspective. He gets the true perspective. Because he's seen it all, he's seen glory. But he's also seen the other side of that, the pain of evil and suffering, because it was, it was a messenger of Satan. So now he's had it all cleared up for him, and he can finally see. And for example, here, here's a new perspective, and it's in verse 10. Is this your perspective day to day? It's not mine, which is why this is morning coffee for me. Are you well content with your weaknesses, with your insults, with your distresses, your persecutions, your difficulties? Are you saying every morning, yeah, for, for your sake, Jesus, bring on the trouble. No, you're not. You're, you're like me. By nature, we're trying to avoid these things. And I'm not calling for an unhealthy search for difficulty and kicking over an ant bed every time you see one. That, that's not what we're saying. But it is refreshing when you finally meet people who are transparent and willing to be broken and honest for a change. And say, listen, we are all sinful. We are all fallen. There's none of us getting out of here alive, no matter how much education or money or savvy you may have. One hiker yesterday, so there's a group of us that stay and cook. And then there's a group that hikes against the grain of the hikers down the trail southward. And we meet hikers coming along the way. And we say, if you can make it to Woody Gap, they've got hot dogs and chili. And they're like, oh boy, you know. Well, one guy, we strike up a conversation with every one of them. Usually my son Jake, who's at the first of the trail, we couldn't say anything because he got it all out first. I was very proud of you, Jake, yesterday. Your ability to talk to strangers was amazing. (laughs) This one hiker comes up to us. He says, we say, where are you from? The first thing he says was, well, I'm actually from the ground because I just tumbled down that hill back there. (laughs) I thought, well, that's unusual. This guy introduces himself by his last mistake, you know. We're like, we, didn't, we didn't see that. So if, if, if a hiker falls in the woods and nobody sees him, is, does it really happen? You know, <laughs> If his wife wasn't there, did it really happen? Just a new perspective that he was willing to share his difficulties. Paul was humbled by the thorn. And it made him realize that what we all must realize. Here's the perspective. I am a limited, fallen, weak, needy sinner. Sometimes I think I'm in control, but suffering and thorns reminds me that not only am I not in control, but I was never in control. And difficulty and suffering brings back home that reality. We also need to remember the kingdom is much bigger and better than this, and I mean the eternal kingdom. And So I'm going to live this brief moment that I have here on earth knowing, hey, join me in the hike. I'm a nobody, but I'm not inferior to anybody because my life and my soul carries every day the worth of the love of Jesus Christ. His grace is enough. Hey man, hop off the treadmill. Hop off the performance, perpetual perfectionism that's exhausting to all of us. And admit who you are. You're a hiker who stumbles down some of the hills whether people see it or not. And if that's your perspective, it will set you free. Not to, in some sick sort of way, invite, but, but just to be, to be well content, whatever the day may bring. And what we know is that there's going to be some exhilarating moments. But there's also going to be some educating moments as well. And we have some very hard lessons to learn. Some very hard lessons to learn. And God loves you and I too much to leave us where we are on the trail. He wants you to finish the journey, which is to ultimately make you like Christ and to know Him and love Him and trust Him. And let's be real, you and I don't get it when everything's going well. When everything goes well, we puff ourselves up. (laughs) I'm a great above the rest of you guys now because of what I've experienced. No. So God will appoint a thorn to bring you down, to level you out and give you the right perspective. Now, I'm already preaching these too long. The second thing is power. (laughs) Not only a perspective, but power that comes not from you, but from God. Paul says, what I learned through this is that God has given me a strength that comes from Him and comes from above. A strength to love, a strength to forgive, a strength to pray, and to do what God has strength to do His will came from relying not on me, but on God. So you got a Kyle Kane who gathers the hikers around, and and Kyle Kane has an outgoing personality and so forth, but he gathers all the guys around. And he says, before you guys hike, I want to pray with you. How did God transform Kyle to give him that kind of power and strength to do what most of us would never dream about doing or even contemplate thinking about doing? The strength of God working in his life. When he dies to himself and surrenders his personality and everything to the Lord, we become powerful in the hands. So it was an instrument of power. Paul says, I'm going to be nothing and I'm going to give it up and I'm going to surrender all and God's going to strip away from me all of my personal stuff so that, listen, the power of Christ may dwell in me. It is empowering for you to die to yourself. And to allow the power of Christ to reside in you. The third one is purpose. Paul now said his life is lived for Christ's sake. He lives for God and others. Now that he knows what pain is, he empathizes with other people who are suffering. We said this last week. He says, who's weak without me being weak? And who falls into sin without me feeling the burden of that? He has a new purpose for living, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's not going to let anything, and the thorn helps him do it. The thorn helps him focus on what's most important in his mission. And the thorn reminds Paul daily what I need to be reminded of daily. It's not about you. It is not about you, and it is also not about you. It is about God and His glory, and it is about the kingdom and its work, and it is about loving God and loving other people. And a thorn in the flesh will teach you and me, hard-headed, stubborn people that we are, that it's not about us. It's about His agenda, not your agenda. His will, not your will. Number four, it's also preparation. The thorn in the flesh prepared Paul for the rest of his earthly life, but hey, it also prepared him for eternity in meeting God. He already said to the Corinthians, one day all of us are going to stand before God. And judgment upon our life and who we are and what we've done with our gifts and talents and resources. The thorn in the flesh reminds you that there is an eternity to come. And you and I need to be ready. And that thorn readied him To meet God. But let me tell you something else. The thorn also readies you to minister to others in the rest of the life that you have now. So when something difficult comes into your life, know that God sees the rest of the trail. And He knows what's up around the bend. For me personally, Gina Kingston reminded me yesterday. Bennett's hiking with us on the trail. And he's doing great. He's walking, he's encouraging, he's having fun, he's, he's going extra steps that he don't have to go for that rock, and this rock, and that hill, and making his own way, and I'm like, save your energy. And Miss Gina was laughing at me, and she says, just think, Neil. eight years ago, you didn't know what in the world you were going to do with God bringing this child into your life. And I didn't. I didn't know what we were going to do. God, what are you doing? We can't take another child. We don't have anything left with the four we've got. But, she, but and she said it and I felt it. Now I wonder what in the world would I do without him? What would I do with all my time? <laughs> but really, he is such a help to us. He, he makes life daily worth living, he and all the others. But I'm saying he adds to it. He adds the good to it and some of the difficulty. But here's the point. God saw, this is so stupid to say, God saw eight years into the future. (laughs) You're like, duh. But when you're stuck in that moment, (laughs) you can't see eight years into the future. You don't want to talk about eight years into the future. You don't know if you're going to make it through next week. God does. And what He allows today, even if it's painful, He is wanting to carry that, He is wanting to give you that for the rest of the journey and to prepare you to meet God in the future. So, we welcome the thorns, we learn from the thorns. The the last point, number five, was passion. Can you really think of anything more exhilarating and glorious? Can you think of anything more valuable? Can you think of anything more important than having the type of relationship that Paul had with Jesus? And here it goes. This kind of... We don't want to miss the forest for the trees here. He hears Jesus say to him personally, My grace is enough for you. Wait, he heard from Jesus? Personally? About how much he was loved and cherished and valuable. Paul had the relationship which was more valuable than not having a thorn or having a thorn or whatever. Paul says, One thing I know and one thing I want, that is to know Christ, to abide in him and his love. Paul has what all of us are hungering and searching for favor and righteousness and acceptance and relationship with Christ, with the Father and with the Spirit. Paul has a passionate relationship with Jesus. He has learned about God and His compassion. He has learned to listen. He has learned to trust. He has learned to abide in His love and rest in His favor. Paul has already, with the thorn, everything that our hungry hearts are searching for and that is a right relationship with God through Christ and that gets him that gives him passion for life and God and others that transcends everything else he learned that through many circumstances but here's my point the difficult painful thorn helped him in that process of growth And if you and I will learn, and if we will trust whatever you're going through, here it is. Here's more of what God wants you to know. He learned more about Jesus. You know, Jesus was crucified in weakness. Jesus, too, went to Gethsemane and prayed three times, like Paul, or Paul like Jesus. If it's possible, Father, take this cup from me. Take it from me. And God kept him weak. God kept him headed to the cross and bearing our sin and bearing our guilt and bearing our shame and taking the wrath, do that. And then from the cross, he surrenders totally and completely. And he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He surrenders. On the third day, he arose. Glorious, triumphant. Paul and his personal thorn began to process more about what God did for him in Christ. And once we get to that point, ah, so this God is just a, a, a wee bit of what you experienced in Gethsemane on the cross, just a little bit of what you did for me on a much larger and infinite scale now I see a bit of what you suffered now I see a bit of what you felt because Jesus bore far more than just a crown of thorns in his flesh for you and me so then you begin to explore the amazing depth of God's love for you personally when you begin to suffer and hurt let it drive your mind to Christ and His Gethsemane, and His cross, and His surrender, then let it drive you even further to the resurrection glory on the other side. That's what we need every single day. It's the gospel, the good news of what God did for you and me. In eternity past, He chose us and loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for just a bit of explanation of what I know to be so much more that you want to say. This is just one small part of the story, one small part of the Bible that introduces us to the great concept of how sufficient your grace is to us. It is sufficient to save us from the penalty of sin. It is sufficient to change us and to save us from the power of sin. It is sufficient to complete us. And save us forever from the presence of sin. May the thorns we have on a daily basis send us deeper into our knowledge and our enjoyment and our joy in you. And take away from us all these false identities, these lesser gods, these idols. May we worship only you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand And sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. (laughs) Amen.
2: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for another day to come and hear your word. We just pray that you'll take this word home with us and live it all through the week, Lord. Especially, it was a good message for me. Uh, help me prepare this week when I realize my weaknesses I see the difficulties when the insults come or the persecutions come let me give them over to you Uh, let you handle them you know in Proverbs it says the horse prepared for the battle but the victory belongs to the Lord so when those times come in my life this week Lord I'm just going to turn them over to you because nothing can can defeat you Uh, I hope everybody in this room takes this message home with them and just realizes how powerful a a god we serve i thank you that your grace and your mercy is forever it never ends because in my life sometimes if it wasn't infinite how much grace and mercy you show me i'd be in be in pretty bad shape Uh, lord i pray for a fallen world i see it all day a lot of people uh, just like the song we sang this morning a lot of people won't receive your grace they're storing up treasures here on earth when they should be storing them up in heaven so I just left up a fallen world uh, fallen co-workers fallen family members so Lord I just pray right now that you take our tithes and offerings and you use it uh, you know how to use it you know where it needs to go just use it to reach more people so that they can understand what what we understand that uh, grace and mercy is going to get us into heaven, faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins is going to get us into heaven, and we're going to spend eternity with you. I ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.